In the 1920s, an elderly and well-respected Oregon rancher, Charlie Becker, prepared a sketch of his adventurous life. He disclosed that as a young man, he had served as a civilian teamster accompanying Johnston's army during the Utah War. In an unguarded moment, he allowed himself to be captured by a Latter-day Saint raiding party. He would spend the next months a prisoner in the Utah Territory, where he would be one of the very few outsiders to see up close the lives of the Latter-day Saints in their mountain home. On this episode, we will explore the story of Charlie Becker, a prisoner of the Utah War. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History. Charlie Becker was hired as a civilian teamster, driving supplies and herding animals for Johnston's army during the 1857 campaign to the Utah Territory. His duties included a rotating schedule of guard duty. He described how sometime in late October 1857, he was on guard duty on the plains of Wyoming. It was my turn to be on afternoon guard on the outside limits of the herd, about two miles from the main camp. Around evening, I saw about a dozen men dismounted behind some sand rock cliffs. They seemed to be watching our camp, but thinking it was some of our own scouts, I paid no more attention to them. But it turns out, Becker probably should have paid more attention to the group. Within a few minutes, they had surrounded him. Only then, did he realize they were not a detachment of army scouts, but raiders of the Latter-day Saint Nauvoo Legion. Now, alone and far from help, he stared into the hard faces of his enemies. Becker did a quick assessment of his chances. Run, fight, or surrender. It was getting dark, with no help in sight, and the night promised to be extremely cold. I concluded to surrender on as favorable terms as I could get. He dropped his weapons and gave himself up. But after surrendering, Becker saw another side of these hard-faced men. As soon as I surrendered, he wrote, all the Mormons came up and shook hands with me, as though I had been a long-lost brother just found. One young Mormon, seeing that I was barefooted inside my shoes, reached back under his buckskin coat and handed me a pair of home-knitted woolen socks. I refused at first, but he insisted, saying that I would have a long night's ride and that my feet would freeze without socks. I thanked him and put them on, thinking to myself that there was surely one good Mormon. It was a bitter cold night, he remembered, and had it not been for those warm woolen socks, I would have suffered severely. They traveled all night until they reached the Nauvoo Legion headquarters in a sheltered valley on Bear River. Becker was given something to eat and then brought up to the general staff. Daniel H. Wells served as a counselor in the church's first presidency and also the commander of the Nauvoo Legion. At the time, the Latter-day Saints expected that Johnston's army would attempt to enter Salt Lake Valley before winter set in, and General Wells and his staff were anxious to learn where and when they would strike. They began interrogating Becker, extracting as much intelligence as they could about Johnston's army, their numbers, supplies, locations, plans, morale, health of the animals, and the soldiers. But Becker was loyal to the U.S. Army and did his best to evade or downplay the extent of his knowledge. After a few minutes, 
His unwillingness to answer became apparent, and this reluctance was too much for the adjutant on General Wells's staff, a man Becker remembered as a hot-headed, impulsive Irishman, the 28-year-old James Ferguson. One of the few Irish converts to the Latter-day Saints, Ferguson had served as a sergeant major of the Mormon battalion during the Mexican-American War, and he had been part of the colossal rescue effort the year before to the 1856 handcart companies. Ferguson, exasperated by Becker's evasiveness, barked out, You will answer our questions more directly, or we will find ways of forcing you to do so. But General Wells immediately cut him off. Tut tut, none of that, Mr. Ferguson. General Wells then told Becker to only answer the questions he thought best. A few days later, a supply wagon from Salt Lake City arrived at the camp, driven by Charles Decker. At age 33, Charles Decker was one of the most experienced scouts and outdoorsmen in the Utah Territory, and he had already crossed the plains over 50 times between the states and Utah. The year before, he rode with the advanced rescue party to save the stranded immigrants of the Willie and Martin handcart companies. Becker recalled how Charles Decker took a friendly interest in me, and he told me that if I would promise not to attempt an escape, he would try to get permission from General Wells to bring me to his home. Decker explained that he would be more comfortable there, and he could make himself useful around the farm by doing chores. But Charles Decker may have had another reason to bring the prisoner to his home. Tempers, discipline, and self-control among some members of the Nauvoo Legion were fraying. As seen in James Ferguson's suggestion that the Nauvoo Legion had ways of forcing Becker to answer their questions, and in General Wells' immediate efforts to stamp out such talk, there was a dark mood growing among some in the Nauvoo Legion. Charles Decker would later tell Becker that he would be much safer at his home in Salt Lake City than he would be at the camp in Echo Canyon. Becker arrived at the home of Charles Decker, who had married Brigham Young's daughter, Lena, whom the prisoner described as a most beautiful and highly intelligent woman. They had three beautiful children, who were all as good as they were beautiful. To Becker's astonishment, though, he met Margaret Jane Maxfield Decker, the second wife of Charles Decker. Like other Easterners, Becker had heard of the strange practice of polygamy among the Latter-day Saints, but he was one of the few outsiders in the 1850s to see it up close. What amazed him, even more, was the harmony he saw between these two women. They seemed to be getting along splendidly, like an older and younger sister. But Becker would learn that polygamy did not always work out as well as it seemed to in the Decker home. He met a young woman, an immigrant from England, who worked for the Decker family. She was a convert, Becker wrote, who told him that she had been married to a young Mormon, but when he brought a second wife in through the front door, well, she turned around and went out the back. While working on the Decker farm, Charlie Becker, on several occasions, met Brigham Young, who regularly visited his daughter Lena and the children. We all ate dinner together as a family, Becker would recall, and Brigham Young asked me many questions about Johnston's army. Despite himself, and without elaborating why, Becker would later admit, I formed a rather favorable opinion of Brigham Young. After six weeks of staying with the Decker family, 
Word came shortly before Christmas in 1857 that he and two other prisoners would be transferred to Fort Bridger and returned to the custody of the U.S. Army. Charlie Becker would later write that he was sorry to leave the Decker home and the most lovable Mormon family. The prisoners were escorted under guard and had to stay overnight in a wooden building on Main Street. Maybe in view of the Christmas season, the prisoners were given plenty of food. He wrote, We had vegetables, beef, flour, the best to be had in those days. They put a guard over us with an old musket, a good-natured Dane. One night, the Latter-day Saints were having a great Christmas gathering. Both the prisoners and the guards were lonesome and regretted missing the excitement of the social. So they decided, Becker wrote, to have a little amusement of our own. The Danish guard set aside his old musket, and he, another guard, and the prisoners began a game of blind man's bluff, a game of tag, where the person who is it is blindfolded and gropes around after the other players to tag them. Becker remembered, We managed to keep the good Danish man blindfolded most of the time, while he fell over benches and stools that we put in his way. But the guards and the prisoners got carried away and created a racket that could be heard on Main Street. Within a few minutes, they all heard heavy footsteps rushing up the stairs. The door burst open, and into the room stormed the notorious Wild Bill Hickman, then serving as provost marshal of the city. Hickman apparently heard the noise and thought that the prisoners were attempting a jailbreak. In an instant, the party was over. Becker wrote, Hickman found our guard standing in the middle of the room, blindfolded, and at once ordered him under arrest and took him away. Then Hickman brought in a new guard, a Latter-day Saint whom Becker described as a, a monstrous Swede, a very surly fellow who would not make up with us. The guards, placed under arrest, would spend Christmas Day in front of a court-martial, where they were tried for malconduct as guards over the U.S. prisoners. The guards were found guilty and sentenced to be reprimanded. The next morning, the three prisoners arrived in Echo Canyon, where they again met with General Wells. Becker said that Daniel Wells spoke to us in a friendly manner and gave us some papers to deliver to Colonel Johnston. The prisoners were then released and made their way to the camp of Johnston's army, who was then staying in the burned-out ashes of Fort Bridger. The soldiers had had a hard time of it. Following Lot Smith's raid on the army supply wagons, the U.S. Army was experiencing significant privations, and the soldiers on the campaign would spend the winter on half rations. When they arrived, though, Colonel Johnston treated them very kindly Becker remembered he ordered the commissary sergeant to give us what clothing we needed and some medicine for my frosted feet and anything else I needed. Colonel Johnston asked Becker many questions about the Nauvoo Legion, their numbers, supplies, location, morale, health of the animals and soldiers. But Johnston was very eager to learn how the Mormons had treated Becker. I gladly answered all to the best of my ability, he wrote, and Colonel Johnston expressed great satisfaction that we had been so kindly treated. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Adventures in Mormon History. For the material and sources in this season, we owe a special thanks to Utah War historian Bill McKinnon. His excellent two-volume set, At Swords Point, the documentary history of the Utah War, is available on Amazon and Google Books, 
A link to these and other sources can be found in the show notes. I'm your host, Nate Olson.